Welcome to City Talks, a monthly podcast looking at the big issues facing UK cities and the latest thinking on urban policy. I'm your host, Andrew Carter, from the Think Tank Centre for Cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of City Leaders. Today, I'm joined by John Stevenson. John is the MP for Carlisle, a position he's held since 2010. He's also chair of the Northern Research Group, and he's joint chair of the Key Cities APPG. Uh, welcome, John. Good morning. So let's take those sort of three interests in turn, and let's start with um, Carlisle. Obviously, you've been MP of Carlisle for uh, for 13 uh, years. Just say a little bit about that role, but also I know you've talked a lot about, you know, Carlisle is a kind of smaller city, but it still has that kind of hub functions. You just say a little bit about, you know, what that means and how what what that looks like for Carlisle. Well, um, as you say, I've been MP since 2010. And uniquely amongst MPs, there are a few of us, but not many. I represent the whole city. And I always think that's been something that's allowed me to have a specific role in dealing with the whole city and all the aspects that come with them. And Carlisle's an interesting city. It is a small one but it does actually have the infrastructure of a much larger city. It's got things like a football club, a race course, the hospital, the council headquarters. It's also a, a regional capital, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon. But when I first got elected, my uh, main objective was to try and grow the city. I always felt it was just slightly too small and critical mass does matter. And therefore that was my main driver was to try and get investment in both public and private and grow the city so it actually became a larger city. And at that time, I think very much Carlisle, in my view, punched below its weight. And over time, that has changed. And at that time, we were known as the border city. And it, in many respects, has connotations of which are negative because it's about a barrier. And then subsequently, we've had the Borderlands Growth Initiative. And I think that's changed the dynamics and the perspective of the city. So say a little bit more about that, John. You were, you know, you came in, you wanted to see the city grow literally. You wanted it to be more important region regionally. What were the sort of key building blocks for you in making that making that happen? Growing the place and then, you know, both in terms of a literal size, but also then, you know, the the economic hub function that it that it plays in the in the wider hinterland. What was what were the key the key building blocks of that? Well, Carlisle, I was, as I've already said, I always felt sort of punched below its weight. And it was how you changed the sort of ambition of the city and the dynamics of the city. And I argued that it had to be bigger, it had to get investment in, and that's about house building, it's also about the private sector. And the real game changer came along when we had the Borderlands Growth Deal. And that was when five councils came together, of which one was Carlisle City Council, and it had an opportunity to uh, seek investment from central government and the Scottish government for the whole region. So suddenly, instead of being a small city, we suddenly became a, a regional um, debate, a regional discussion that went up into the Scottish borders and it went down throughout Northumbria and uh, Cumbria. And I think that just changed the dynamics of the council officers and the councillors. They suddenly were something um, involved in something bigger. And I think then is when the change in the sort of attitude of Carlisle uh, was transformed. It became, instead of a border city, it became a regional capital because it's the only city within the borderlands area. And that area is a huge expansion, uh, but it's about um, one and a half million people. 
So it's very small in terms of numbers, but a very big geographical area. But all of a sudden, Carlisle became very much at the center of it because it was the regional capital. It was the transport hub, commercial center, etc. And I think that is what was the biggest change to Carlisle's future. And sort of the changing aspiration, vision, uh, in, uh, ambition, really, how, where, and the border deal. How then did that sort of, what were the kind of key projects or initiatives or schemes, John, that you, you started to see happen uh, and encouraged to see happen to then to make to make good on, the, on that ambition and on vision? Well, I think it was, in many respects, um, twofold. It was one, just attitude and outlook. Suddenly, um, the people involved had a wider uh, view of the world. They were dealing with London civil servants, London politicians. So they just felt they were more important and therefore were more ambitious for, for the area. And the second thing was actually quite clearly money. And we've had £450 million from the Borderlands growth deal. And you're going to see £28 million spent on the station refurbishment. They want to move the university into the centre of Carlisle. And those are sort of real game changers for the city and the region. Um, but it's, they're not the only uh, investments that have gone into the city. We've seen money go into the hospital. We've seen an enterprise zone. And then just just so happened to be roughly at the same time, we also got garden village status for a part of the city, bringing in 10,000 new homes and a new uh, road, which completed the ring road round the whole city. And that's a £220 million investment. So all of a sudden, it was just a combination of events coming together at the same time that just sort of started to transform the attitude, but also the direct investment going into the city. And one of the one of the schemes that you've been uh, involved in for quite some time, uh, John, is the Carlisle Skills Fair, which is an annual event bringing together those that are looking for work, those that are looking for workers and, and everything else besides. Just say a little bit about that, you know, where it came from, where its status is now, what your aspiration for is it, because I think it's a great scheme. Well, to be successful, you need infrastructure, you need leadership, you need private sector investment, but quite clearly you also need skills. And it was a meeting I had with a group of engineers in 2014, and I turned to them and said, what do you see, what can I do to help the city? And they came up with, they didn't want a jobs fair, they wanted a skills fair, because it was about skills and enhancing the skills for the future generations. And it started with their support, and we had um, local schools involved, we had local training providers, and of course, local businesses. And it's now been going uh, 10 years, we celebrate our 10th anniversary next year. And it's been, I think, a great success in highlighting the importance of skills, but also bringing to the attention of local people the many very successful and indeed big international businesses that are actually in the city. And that's raised the profile of them locally, but also I like to think raised the aspirations of many of the future uh, students and employees. Yeah, brilliant. Um, you, you started to talk a little bit there. Let's, you've you've advocated for, before. I've you know heard you say it that the UK would benefit from having, I guess, a more deliberate strategy, a more deliberate approach for um, enhancing some of our smaller cities like Carlisle. Just say a little bit about what your you know what your thinking behind that is, and, and what might that actually mean if if the government was to take it up. I always think you look at London. London is a fantastic city in many respects. It's a world city. Hugely successful. But the real success of London, is, in my view, is not actually London. It's the ripple effect. It's the impact it's had on the towns and cities surrounding London. 
And then if you look up to the north and you're starting to see that a little bit with your Manchester and your Leeds. But if you just were to take to the smaller cities, which are maybe slightly more isolated, such as Carlisle, I think they can play exactly the same role, albeit at a sort of different level. So I see Carlisle's responsibility as being the economic driver for the whole region to have exactly the same impact that London has in the big southeast, Carlisle can have in the border regions. And it's if if Carlisle is successful, it attracts investment that will have a ripple effect out into the hinterland. And I think that is a that is something that be, can be replicated up and down the country, but it needs leadership. Uh, but I also think it needs the government to be aware of the potential impact it can have in its policies for areas such as uh, Carlisle and the borderlands. Yeah, I mean, and that that relates a little bit, John, to your you know to your role as the chair of the Northern Research Group, which is you know a, a group within the Conservative Party. Within, you know, it does what it says on the, the name on the tin. Just say a little bit about the Northern Research Group. And one of the themes on your um, recent prospectus is around devolution and recognizing you know the nature of the north and what it needs to thrive so just connect those sort of that those different threads together and say a little bit about where the, the research group currently is with its thinking well i think it's been recognized by all political parties that the north has in many respects underperformed and it's how you start to address that issue and if the north were to perform at a much higher level it would benefit everybody and we in that sort of nrg group have recognized that if we are to have a successful north we need to have certain policy initiatives infrastructure is the obvious one uh, investment in by the private sector skills etc but we also see devolution as being a critical part of this and i think brexit to a certain extent was about taking back control from europe and i think there's a view in many parts of the north that actually they'd like to take back some control from westminster and whitehall and if you look at the tax take, it's 95% goes to central government. Why not more of that being raised at the local level and spent at the local level? And I also think many local politicians are far more aware of what needs to happen in their locality, what business needs to be attracted, what issues there are uh, that they can address far more than people in Whitehall and London. So there has been a very strong movement towards that. And we have seen some success in terms of devolution and the moralities across the north of England. But I think, and my colleagues think, an awful lot more can be done. Um, what's your, I mean, you said, John, you know, there's there's a consensus, uh, you know, across the political parties. Obviously, you know, your party's been in government and has, you know, done quite a lot of the, the heavy lifting on devolution and the recognition of, you know, the needs of different places over the last decade or so. Where, where do you think we are at this moment in terms of that, discussion or that debate that recognition you know it, it, you know the sense it waxes and wanes you mm -hmm. know through the period i mean what just give us you know your your insights on, on that where do you think it is and i suppose obviously we're talking you know in the foothills of a general election at some point in the not too distant future you know where do you think this might might sit within you know the the, the lots of the different sort of issues that are going to be discussed i i think that's a really interesting Interesting question, and you're absolutely right to highlight the fact that it's sort of been the key moments when it's been very popular, and then it sort of waned a little bit. And I think we're in one of those lulls as we as at uh, this moment in time. And um, personally, and I think it's a view of most of my colleagues, not all, but most of my colleagues, we need to do do more. We need to turbocharge devolution and um, giving more power to councils, mayors, etc. 
politically, very interestingly, I, I don't think Labour have particularly indre- uh, embraced this. Uh, they have the mayors, ironically, in many of the places in the north of England, but they haven't actually embraced the underlying policy and what you want to achieve with it. My party, I think, is further down the road, but I do think we have further to go. And I think, I will, I would like to think at the next election that we will come up with some policy initiatives that are about enhancing the roles of mayors, going further with devolution and giving more power to our uh, regions and smaller cities and districts. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely spot on. As you say, it's an interesting sort of area where there's a broad consensus at the headline level, but then you know, to the varying degrees, you don't you don't necessarily get some of the detail when you then start to talk to some of the um, you know the party officials about how far they actually are willing to go and whether they think about everywhere or somewhere or whether it's deeper or you know or broader. So I think it's going to be an interesting um, you know, debate and discussion. I suppose there's an important role for for the MPs in that, right? I mean, in a sense, because, you know, they're part and parcel of the political machinery, making the argument that we should also have devolution to councils and to, you know, to other organisations is going to be part, you know, part of that, selling that to the public. The great the great challenge in many respects, and it's one I think that suffers from at the ministerial level, at the civil service level, and to a lesser extent at the MP level, it's about giving up your power and your control over events. And I think at some point, a government has to say, right, if we are serious about devolution, if we are serious about giving back powers to local areas and allowing them to take the lead, we're going to have to accept that we give powers, responsibilities, et cetera, to local areas. Now, the vehicle that we've been using so far, and I broadly think it's worked, is about mayors. And you've seen great success in Teesside uh, and Andy, Andy Street as well have been very effective. And I think, you know, Andy Burnham in Manchester, they've raised the profile of their areas and they've tried to do something quite significant for those areas. But if we were entirely honest, an awful lot of power and control still lies at the centre. And at some point, I think we've got to bite the bullet and be more willing to give powers to those local areas. Yeah, that's a great point. I I, I hope you're right, is all I'm going to say on <laughs> on that. Um, let's, let's move on to, because you're obviously, you're also involved Let's say co-chair of the um the key cities APBG, which is a collection of sort of small and mid-sized cities. Just say a little bit about why that group is important, you know, what it's up to, and I suppose what how does that talk to some of the broader uh, themes and issues that you've been you've been talking about on the, the episode? Well, I think it's been a recognition over time that you know, we first of all had London dominating the the environment, the city environment, and then the larger cities got together said, okay, we we can um, bring ideas and influence by working together. And then the idea came up from the smaller cities in different parts of the country. Actually, they were in danger of being ignored or left behind. So they came together as the key cities. I, to be fair, have only got involved in the last two or three years, but I do recognize what they have uh, um, to offer in terms of pooling ideas, because in many respects, they have very similar issues and problems, uh, albeit they might have variations on that, but they do have very similar um, issues. And also it allows them as a group to have more influence when it comes to speaking to civil servants and ministers about the policies that would they think, and I would agree on generally, will help improve their areas. So it's, it's about bringing people together 
and believing that as a group they have far more influence and I also think they can learn from each other as well so an idea and say Bournemouth can be used in um, say Chester that can then be changed but again um, adapted to places like Carlisle and I think that's the, that's one of the great benefits of it yeah um, let, let's finish, John. I mean, whenever I hear you speak, and you've been saying it today, but whenever I hear you speak, you talk about, passionately talk about, you know, the importance of leadership. You know, we're talking about it, you know, from a place perspective, but you talk about, you know, passionately about the importance of leadership. I mean, what, what does what does that mean for, you know, for you when you talk about the importance of leadership? Just say a little bit about what you, what do you mean? How do you, and, uh, you know, you embody that, but just say a little bit about what does that mean for you? Again, that's a fascinating question. And the whole time I've been in Parliament, I've only ever heard one chief executive at an event speak about leadership. If we were in America, they would talk endlessly about leadership. Um, and I think it's something we un we underestimate and underrate in this country, because actually I think it can be extremely important. And it's not always leadership at the top, it's leadership right through organisations you know, at different levels. But the beauty about a good leader is they give a vision, they give a sense of direction, they can pull people together and give a, a, a sense of purpose to an area. And I think probably one of the best examples of that is definitely Ben Houchin in Teesside, where I think his leadership has galvanized that area to want to improve itself, to do things. And the MPs, interestingly enough, have got behind him and uh, embraced his leadership for that area. I think we need to see more of that. And if we do see more of that, I think what you'll find is areas up and down the country start to uh, improve, get good ideas, go, uh, cross fertilization of good ideas, and also a little bit of competition. Nothing wrong with competition between different parts of the country to pursue policies that will enhance their areas and then collectively we'll have a much better country. Fantastic. My guest today has been John Stevens. And John, thank you very much for being part of City Leaders. That was very, very good indeed. Thank you. Next week, I'll be talking to Councillor Jane Mudd, Labour leader of Newport City Council, to hear about the transformations underway in Newport around the digital sector, public transport and the city centre, as well as how Newport fits into the Cardiff capital region. Please follow us on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter, and subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter for regular updates from the Centre for Cities, including analysis of the latest policy issues. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of City Talks brought to you by Centre for Cities. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Centre for Cities. Please rate, review and subscribe if you liked what you heard. You can also follow the Centre on Twitter at Centre for Cities or like us on LinkedIn for the latest updates on what the Centre is up to. If you have any comments on the episode or suggestions for topics we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Do tweet us or send an email to info at centreforcities.org. The music was from Palace Fires by Johnny Foreigner, used with permission and all rights are reserved.